the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get started on this Halloween morning at 8 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. That's right, the 31st morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Hopefully you and the kids have a great time tonight. I'm not going to do the big debate tonight over the merits of Halloween. I do not want to talk about the costume fights and the you-can't-wear-that that's cultural appropriation. No, we're not going to do that. I mean, I've had that fight on Halloween broadcasts before. Probably far too many of the 22 or so Halloweens on which I've been a broadcaster. Uh, not going to do that today. Just going to say, look, it's a kid's holiday. Let them enjoy it. If they want to dress as a firefighter, let them. If they want to dress as a hobo, <gasps> gasp, that is insensitive to homeless people. Uh, that is insensitive to impoverished people. You know what? Leave people alone for crying out loud. And on this day, and on this day only, if your little boy wants to dress as a fairy princess for the purpose of Halloween, let him. Because he knows it's pretend. He knows it's a costume. He knows it's make-believe. And if your little girl wants to dress as a professional football player, let her. Because she knows it's pretend. It's not real. Any more than your little boy who's going to dress like a Dracula is actually a vampire. Let the kids have fun tonight. Enjoy trick-or-treating if you can. Did you see the weather? What's the weather going to be like tonight? going to be brutal, I think. It's supposed to rain all day. 
I was didn't listen as closely as I should have to the weather there at the top of the hour, but I'll make make sure to make note of that. But from what I do remember yesterday, a lot of communities, or at least some communities, I don't know if I should say a lot, have moved their trick-or-treating or moved it from uh, uh, tonight to last night, although last night it was a lot of rain in the, in the area as well. So uh, keep the kids warm, dry as much as you can. Take them out with umbrellas. Make sure you walk with them if they're young and make sure that they are safe and enjoy the Halloween uh, holiday without all kinds of the uh, consternation and i don't even want to do the religious part of it either i don't want to do the you know de- all, all hallows eve and i want to talk about the devil's night and all this other stuff before uh, all saints day tomorrow just again it's a little harmless kids fun nobody's being indoctrinated with it let it be for today all right now having said all of that the halloween mask has come off of the whistleblower maybe possibly we know who the whistleblower is that has launched. And, and by the way, I, do, I will not play the political games of the American left and claim that this really was, this uh, impeachment inquiry was um, born of a whistleblower, an actual CIA analyst who was listening on the Trump-Zelensky phone call who was so concerned that he had to go to authorities and say, I feel like we, we just uh, heard something that may compromise national security for our political purposes. That, that, that isn't what launched this impeachment inquiry or this sham, this phony impeachment inquiry upon which a resolution will be voted today in the House of Representatives to establish the rules to continue the sham impeachment inquiry. But I will not allow this story to be told that this literally is the Democrats doing their due diligence. They just became made aware of something that requires congressional oversight to the point where they are so concerned with what this whistleblower heard that they had to start this inquiry in the interest of protecting the republic. I I will not allow them to, to get away with that. As I said last night on social media, and as I have said multiple times on these airwaves, the Democrats decided on the evening, the night really, of November 8th, 2016, to impeach Donald J. Trump. They have spent the last three years looking for an excuse to do it. The night they realized, oh my God, he won Michigan. Oh my God, he won Pennsylvania. Oh my God, he won Wisconsin. Oh my God. Trump has the electoral votes. He's going to beat Hillary. I want you to ponder that. Think about that. That's the moment they decided we have to impeach him. He just won. He wasn't supposed to do that. Hillary was supposed to win in a walk. All of the polls said so. We get to continue the liberal um, socialist turn that this country needed. That started for eight years of Barack Obama, and we get to continue it now with four or eight years of Hillary Clinton. The socialization of America. This guy just upset the apple cart. Now, what are we going to do? we got to impeach him. I'm telling you right now. Many Democrats decided that night, before he was sworn in two months later. 
And as I've also pointed out on this program, some Democrats didn't even wait that long. Or, yeah, didn't even wait that long. They decided before the election, in the unlikely event that this guy wins, we'll have an insurance plan. We will indeed uh, impeach him from power. We will wipe him out. Don't ever forget that. This is something that they said with, to one another, which was uncovered uh, by way of text messages that were saved and uh, retrieved. So let's talk about what we do know. This sham impeachment inquiry, which was not born of the phone call, but which was uh, the phone call was just the latest piece of information that they tried to use to bring true, uh, bring to fruition their dreams of uh, impeaching Donald Trump from the moment he was uh, elected. Um, this inquiry was not born of this whistleblower's phone call, but the whistleblower's identity has been very, very important. And it is very, very important. It has been kept under wraps until now. Uh, Adam Schiff, pencil neck Schiff, who is running a Soviet-style uh, sham of a coup d'etat of the President of the United States, has done his level best, as have all the other Democrats, to keep the identity of the quote-unquote whistleblower, which, again, while he is not the impetus of this impeachment inquiry, and they started a long time ago, is the excuse. So this this whistleblower had to come forward for them to say, aha, now we get to go forward on this. So his identity does matter. And we've learned a little bit about him, uh, just kind of about his profile, I guess, over the course of the last uh, few weeks. But now Paul Sperry, doing investigation, for real clear investigations. Paul Sperry, veteran Beltway reporter, has come forward and identified the whistleblower. Now, on Fox News this morning, they were saying, and last night on Hannity, in fact, they were saying, we cannot independently confirm that this individual is the whistleblower. And so I will also establish that point here. I'm not claiming something that I have independently confirmed, simply reporting on reporting. All right? Paul Sperry has pieced it all together for real clear investigations, and yesterday at 421 p.m. Eastern Time ran this piece on the website. Real clear investigations. Headline, the Beltway's whistleblower Fuhrer obsesses over one name. That name, Eric Ciramella. Now, this is public information because it's online. Again, I am not making an accusation that I cannot support. I'm not claiming to support it. I'm reading someone else's reporting. Paul Sperry reporting. Eric Ciramella. Sperry writes, For a town that leaks like a sieve, Washington has done an astonishingly effective job at keeping from the American public the name of the anonymous whistleblower who triggered impeachment proceedings against President Trump. And again, I want to hit that hard It didn't really trigger impeachment proceedings. Those were triggered by his victory in November of 2016. But this was the excuse. This whistleblower was the excuse for the the next and latest attempt to have him impeached. Even though, Sperry writes, his identity is an open secret inside the Beltway. More than two months after the official filed his complaint, pretty much all that's known publicly about him is that he is a CIA analyst who at one point was detailed to the White House and is now back working at the CIA. But the name of a government official fitting that description, Eric Ciramella, if I'm saying it correctly, 
has been raised privately in impeachment depositions, according to officials with direct knowledge of the proceedings, as well as in at least one open hearing held by a House committee not involved in the impeachment inquiry. Fearing their anonymous witness could be exposed, Democrats this week blocked Republicans from asking more questions about him. And they intend to redact his name from all deposition transcripts. I'm going to share more of this with you coming up after this time out on AM 1420, The Answer. In the lab, late one light, when my eyes beheld. WHKradio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. Suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. This brings back memories. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's uh that's the Munsters, right? That's the Munsters uh, theme theme song, I think. I think that's the Munsters. Yeah, yeah, because the Adams family has the clicks, the snap snaps, yeah, those things. But uh, wow, after school, three o'clock television, or two thirty or three thirty or whatever it was when we only had uh, three channels plus uh, uh, UHF. <laughs> I know I'm dating myself. All the younger people right now are going, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, no, really. Um, we had three channels. That was it. And uh, sometimes UHF, you get channel 43, and maybe occasionally channel 61 would come in. I don't remember what would be on it. Nothing good. But uh, that was what we watched in the afternoons after school. Uh, caller off the air tells me that he has heard the pronunciation uh, uh, Charamella. I have as well. I just, I've heard it both ways, and I just don't know which is right. Uh, but the caller said Charamella. I'll run with it. Why not? Because I've heard two different reportings on this, Ciramella and Charamella. We'll run with Char, because I have no reason not to. The name of a government official fitting that description, writes Paul Sperry in Investigations for RealClearInvestigations.com has been raised privately in impeachment depositions according to officials with direct knowledge of the proceedings. Real Clear Investigations is disclosing the name because of the public interest, public's interest in learning details of an effort to remove a sitting president from office. Further, the official status as a whistleblower is complicated by his being a hearsay reporter of accusations against the president, one who has some indicia of an arguable political bias in favor of a rival political candidate, as the intelligence community inspector general phrased it circumspectly in originally filing his complaint. Federal documents reveal this. The 33-year-old Charamella, a registered Democrat, so automatically now you have the potential bias of partisanship, a registered Democrat held over from the Obama White House. Whoa. Now we have partisanship in terms of party registration, but we also have uh, potential bias in that Obama, and his legacy has been, over the course of the last three years, almost completely obliterated by the current president. Much to the chagrin, dismay, Disgust, furor, outrage of the PPO, including members of that Obama administration. So in other words, here's an Obama loyalist, registered Democrat, working in the CIA while a Republican president undoes the Obama legacy. 
We also find out that 33-year-old Charmella, in addition to being registered Democrat and an Obama White House holdover, previously worked for Joe Biden. Wait, what? That's strike three, as far as I'm concerned. Registered Democrat, Obama White House holdover, worked with Joe Biden, who, of course, is on a collision course, possibly, with Donald Trump in a 2020 uh, general election. And finally, we don't need strike four, do we? Three strikes and you're out. Ask the Astros last night. But here's strike four. He also worked with CIA director John Brennan, who, of course, is one of the most loud and vocal critics of Donald Trump, who helped initiate the Russia collusion narrative and the collusion investigation um, that uh, uh, he wanted to believe and wanted you to believe the Trump campaign engaged in during the 2016 election. So here's what we know. Charamella, the 33-year-old registered Democrat from the Obama White House who worked with Joe Biden and with John Brennan, is the source, the second-hand source, as a whistleblower worried about what Donald Trump said to uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine. Um, let's just ponder that for a second here. Is this a is this an unbiased, a non-biased CIA worker looking out for the integrity of the republic? Or is this a partisan Brennan, Biden, Obama loyalist who went to Adam Schiff, perhaps at the request of Adam Schiff, to get a, an excuse to start an impeachment proceeding against Donald J. Trump? That's the bottom line. That's what this is. That's why his name matters. He left his National Security Council post in Obama's uh, West Wing, or actually, correction, holdover from Obama. He stayed in the National Security Council post, at his post, in uh, the Trump administration until mid-2017. He left there amid concerns about negative leaks to the media. In other words, he was perhaps, I don't know if it was proven, he probably would have been fired, but he was uh, considered one of the leaks to the media. He returned to Langley, where he works at CIA headquarters. He was accused of working against Trump and leaking against Trump, said a former NSC official speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss intelligent matters. intelligence matters. This, again, all a part of Paul Sperry's report in Real Clear Investigations. Also, Charamella huddled for guidance, writes Sperry, with the staff of House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff, including former colleagues also held over from the Obama era, whom Schiff's office had recently recruited from the NSC. And Charamella worked with the Democratic National Committee operative who dug up dirt on the Trump campaign during the 2016 election, inviting her into the White House for meetings, according to former White House colleagues. That operative, Alexandra Chalupa, a Ukrainian-American who supported Hillary Clinton, led an effort to link the Republican campaign to the Russian government. He knows her, said one former co-worker. Speaking of Charamella, the whistleblower, he knows her. He had her in the White House, end quote.
documents confirm the DNC opposition researcher attended at least one White House meeting with Charmella in November of 2015. She visited the White House with a number of Ukrainian officials lobbying the Obama administration for aid for Ukraine, again, during the Obama administration. With her name long under wraps, interest in the intelligence analyst has become so high that a handful of former colleagues have compiled a roughly 40-page research dossier on Charamella. A classified uh, version of the document is circulating on Capitol Hill, and briefings have been conducted based on that. One brief Republican has begun, uh, or excuse me, has been planning to unmask the whistleblower in a speech on the House floor. Online, meanwhile, Charamella's name for weeks has been bandied about as uh, potentially on Twitter feeds and in intelligence blogs as the suspected person who blew the whistle, if you will, on the president. The mainstream media is also aware of his name, but they have been reticent to actually identify him as such. I think it's extraordinarily important to identify him as such, and I think Paul Sperry has done the American people a great service here. We need to know who he is so that we can find out what he is. And now we are learning what he is. An Obama-era, Biden-working, Biden-supporting, Brennan-working, Trump-hating, liberal registered Democrat. The founding fathers of this country said that impeachment shall be reserved for non- or bipartisan purposes in the extraordinary event of needing to remove a president. It cannot be partisan. I think we just gave you every reason to understand why this is nothing but partisan. Much more coming up. The Bob France Authority right back after this on 1420 The Answer. Yeah, there's the other one. We had the Munsters music earlier. I knew Adam's family couldn't be far behind. Happy Halloween to you, seriously. Enjoy it with the children today. Let's uh, keep it fun and light for them. No need to do anything else. Stay away from the costume, cultural appropriation nonsense. Just let your kids have fun. That's what it's all about. All right, uh, I want to pivot away from the um, coup d'etat against the President of the United States now and actually read a tweet from the President about our next guest, or at least about the client of our next guest. Um, President Trump tweeted yesterday, a federal judge is allowing the Nick Sandman libel suit to move forward against the thoroughly disgusting Washington Post, which is no longer available at the White House. He could have a good chance of winning. Go Nick. Nick like that. Nick Sandman, the teenager from Covington Central Catholic, uh, or Covington Catholic High School, rather, who was at the center of um, a ridiculous event happening uh, earlier this year, in fact, at the beginning of the year, back in January at the March for Life. Of course, he's the young man wearing the Trump hat who was approached, <clears throat> verbally harassed uh, by a Native American individual and who was then accused by the Washington Post, CNN, and a host of other liberal media outlets of being a racist aggressor against the uh, or the uh, Native American man. The lawsuits filed by uh, Nick Sandman and his representation are plentiful, and they are all massive, $250 million, $275 million in various locations. A judge dismissed the lawsuit uh, filed against the Washington Post earlier this year, but recently, that has been overturned and the lawsuit is back on, which brings us to Todd McMurtry. Todd McMurtry is our guest. He is the attorney representing Nick Sandman in this lawsuit against the Washington Post, seasoned trial attorney. Uh, Mr. McMurtry, good to have you on our program here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks, Bob. 
All right, I tried to give enough of the background, as much of the background, rather, as I could there in bringing you on. And before we talk about the latest uh, developments in this case, case, which is that the lawsuit is at least back on, can you give me the latest on Nick? What has he been doing for your client for these uh, several months? You know, his name has kind of died down as so many other things have taken over the news cycle. But anytime we see his face or hear his name, we remember what this young man and his friends were put through on the national stage. How has he been over these last several months nick nick has been doing well i mean obviously the past uh, 10 months of his life have been uh tumultuous he's had to undergo a tremendous amount of stress i mean you can only imagine being doxxed on a worldwide basis and having all of the national mainstream media call you a a racist provocateur what that would do to a young man of that age but nick comes from a very good family uh he's a smart guy and uh, he's found a way to, to do the best he can to get back to normal day-to-day living. And he is a senior at Covington Catholic High School and participating in events there as he would. Uh, but that doesn't mean that his, his life is, is back to normal. I mean, everywhere Nick goes, people know who he is. Uh, that's not just in this area. That's, that's basically across the country. People know who he is when they see him, and that produces various reactions. So he's he's always on alert as to what may happen or running into the wrong person. Uh, at the same time, though, somebody might uh, buy his lunch. Uh, so it's just one of those things uh, uh, that he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his life. Which is why he deserves to be compensated for this inconvenience, and in fact, maybe worse than that. As you point out, you never know what kind of person you're going to run into. Uh, he's been branded as a racist, as you point out, and you know, an enemy of uh, of minorities, and, and just the fact that he had a Trump hat on, of course, makes him a target for a lot of other people. Uh, what about his family, Mr. McMurtry? How have uh, how have they been dealing with this? Because again, if he's doxed, they're doxed. If he's in the news, they're in the news. Are they still facing a lot of the? Um, uh, you know, slings and arrows of the uh, of the left uh, for for raising a kid that uh, is deemed to be such a uh, such a stain on society, according to the uh, the post. Yeah, absolutely. I think you expressed what they're going through pretty well. I mean, again, and uh, Nick has two younger brothers. Uh, they all you know face up to this every day. It's had effects on all of their lives. Uh, certainly, the the uh, Ted and Julie Sandman, the parents, have have had to you know confront these obstacles at work. Uh, you know, all of us who are involved with the case, when we go out in the public and people find out who we are, you can get some very strange reactions. I mean, a, a, a leftist, liberal-minded person looks at me or anybody else involved with this case in a very different way, uh, angry, almost aggressive at many times. So we all see that, and, and of course the family sees that most of all. Let's talk about the lawsuit. Actually, before we talk about that, um, you represent him in the Washington Post lawsuit, right? Do you represent him in the suit against CNN or any of the other entities that he's involved with? Yes. Uh, my my co-counsel in this case is uh, Attorney Lynn Wood out of Atlanta. Lynn is a nationally recognized defamation lawyer. He's currently you know, preparing a large lawsuit against uh, Elon Musk, and so I'm doing a lot of these radio shows and so forth uh, as part of the litigation team. So... Uh, our group, and there are probably, you know, at any given time, anywhere from two to six lawyers involved in working on this case, uh, we are um, representing uh, Nick Salmon in all of the cases. And the, the currently filed cases include CNN uh, and NBC Universal. So those are all in the court. Uh, just yesterday, the judge uh, in the Kentucky Federal Court uh, issued a ruling that 
uh, in essence, denied CNN's motion to dismiss and told them to be ready to discuss the case along with the Washington Post on December 3rd. And it seems logical that the same uh, result will occur with regard to NBC's motion to dismiss. So it looks like things are getting moving. And that's a great thing to hear. I'm really glad to hear that. We're talking with Todd McMurtry. He's an attorney representing Nick Sandman, as he just pointed out, in at least three, well, not at least, but three uh, major lawsuits. Now, what I want to ask about is the money, because this, of course, catches a lot of people's attention. Whoa, $250 million uh, a suit against the Post, 275 if I'm correct me if I'm wrong on that, against um, uh, uh, in the suit against CNN, and I don't know what the number is uh, for NBC, but... Um, People look at that and they say, hold on a second here. Maybe he was wronged. Maybe he was libeled. Maybe, you know, doxing him in such a way um, is going to lead to some headaches. But is it going to lead to $250 million worth of headaches or combined nearly a billion dollars worth of headaches? They're saying that that's, that's egregious. That's over the top. I don't agree, by the way, because I think a lesson needs to be learned here and a message needs to be sent to these entities. But how do you respond to those who say those numbers are crazy? Okay. I can understand why somebody would say those numbers are crazy, and they really haven't heard the argument as to, as to why maybe they're, they're sane or what the number might be. The first thing to recognize is that uh, a jury here in Kentucky is going to decide those numbers. And, and so the, the, the jurors, the people get the ultimate say-so, and plaintiff's attorneys always come out strong at the beginning and say we want these big numbers, but we have to prove those. And so how do we prove big numbers like that? Uh, the approach that, that we'll use is to say, what would it have cost a person, you know, Nick Sandman, anybody, to have created that much uh, negative publicity? So, in other words, what does, you know, hours of time on CNN's broadcast and uh, pages and pages of copy and the Washington Post and the same for NBC and, and all the talk shows that, that these companies have, what would that cost? I mean, I, I have to suspect that that's a multi-million dollar number, you know, 20, 30, who knows how many millions of dollars that it would have cost to buy all that that uh, bad publicity. So then we look at it and say, what does it cost to, to fix that? And that's a bigger number. And then when you add on top of that, and this is really where the big numbers are generated, uh, the potential for punitive damages, in other words, saying this is just an egregious, outrageous event. And what punitive damages does is it gives the people on the jury an opportunity to send a message to these big companies, these big media companies that are all owned by huge Fortune 10, you know, type organizations, uh, it gives them an opportunity to say, you know, here's the damages, but we're going to multiply those by 9 or 10 because we just think what you did is outrageous. So that's how you get to the big numbers. I like that. Um, and, and I don't know if this is an actual legal term or a legal uh, issue or whatever, but I mean... Is it is it a jury's uh, right and responsibility not just to decide what the punitive damages should be in a given case, but also to say we want to send that message that you're talking about. We we want to tell, well everybody, but especially these multi million dollar uh, media companies um, that that we want to provide a deterrent here, so that neither you nor any other media entity or large powerful organization, the next time uh, they come in contact with a 16 year old kid, um, that they that they think twice or three or 25 million times before they go and and slander him or libel him, as the case may be. So is that a thing in the law? Can a jury say, not only do we want to provide for this particular plaintiff's punitive damages, but we want to send a message to an industry that you can't do this anymore? Yes, you can absolutely do that. In closing arguments in a case like that, you can ask a jury to 
uh, show their outrage through punitive damages, and that's the purpose that it serves. So when you say what are Nick Sandman's actual damages, they're far less. But when you look at the punitive damages multiplier, that's the punishment to make NBC Universal never do this again. Have you ever seen, Mr. McMurtry, anything like this before in your long and distinguished career as a trial attorney? And the reason I ask is I want to talk about the long-term ramifications to a Nick Sandman or to his family. Have you ever had something like this where, you know, two, five, ten years down the road, their name is still infamous because of a reason, you know, that is not their fault, that may cost them a job, that may get somebody to turn away and say, we don't want to be involved with this uh, because we know who you are. Are there long-term ramifications for folks like this? Yeah, absolutely. There's some interesting studies on on how that works. Uh, the, the most classic case is not in, in my personal experience as an attorney, but is the Duke lacrosse case. And uh, in that case, if you your listeners get on the internet now and search Duke Lacrosse, they'll be able to see, you know, that the the, the articles that were defamatory lies published against those individuals are still online with their names on them and probably will be for the rest of our lives. They're just unavoidable. It's the way the internet works, and, and the the term that people use is they call that perpetual reputational harm, and that just means it doesn't go away. So so that really even magnifies further what the the harm is and the fact that uh, Nick is never going to get his reputation back. He's never going to apply for a job where somebody's not going to see that. Um, he's just not going to be able to ever escape this. You know, even when he's 70 years old and has grandchildren, he's not going to be able to escape this. I don't think it's ever going to go away. We are talking with Todd McMurtry. He is the attorney among several attorneys representing Nick Sandman in lawsuits against the Washington Post and other media entities. A judge recently ruling that the dismissal of the lawsuit by the Post uh, has been overturned and this lawsuit can proceed. Um, what, do you, what are the odds, maybe do a scale of 1 to 10, that this actually reaches a trial? Because don't most of these things end up in a, uh, in a settlement, uh, and the Post will probably pay a hefty chunk of money to Nick uh, but not have to admit any liability? Well, I think that the odds of one of these cases going to trial is at a 10. Um, I really? think that everyone's, everyone's committed. Now, do, do all the defendants go to trial? We don't know. But... Is, is are some of the high target, high value defendants? When I say high value, I mean the ones who work, who are the the most egregious. Do they go to tr- to trial? Uh, that's the plan. Wow, I, I just because again, you know, just looking at you know through observational experience, not personal experience, you kind of see a lot of these. Especially when you are talking big numbers. I asked you about that before. Some will say, well, the reason you ask for a big number is because it's going to be reduced, uh, you know, by by a large amount when they when there's a settlement to avoid going to trial. But you fully expect to go to trial against the post? Well, I'm not saying the post. I'm just saying that some of these cases are going to go to trial. Okay, fair fair enough. So you expect it to do that? How long will something like that take to get it to trial? Yeah, probably eighteen months to two years. Eighteen months to get it there, and then to actually run through this. And 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 uh, I, I would imagine that the C- CNN's you know uh, best best opportunity not CNN, excuse me, since we are talking about the Post, but I guess we could lump them all together. It's good for them, right? To, to the distance between the actual event and what they wrote and the coverage that they did to the time it gets to a jury probably helps maybe mitigate uh, some of the emotion or the passion and this whole thing. So they probably want to drag this out as much as they can. Yeah, that's kind of a common common sense evaluation. All of you and your listeners are as good at evaluating that answer as I am. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact is is that time does heal some wounds, but at the same time, the value of a trial, even even two years later, is that um, you present all the evidence and refresh everyone's memory as to what happened. 
Last thing, uh, and we really appreciate your time, Mr. McMurtry. Um, when this does get there, and if it's 18 to two year, 18 months to two years, we're going to be watching it closely no matter what. But um, just looking ahead to jurors, um, jury selection, we always talk about, I know that's the biggest part of a trial or it's one of the most important parts of a trial, making sure you get the right kind of people on there. Do you think that two years down the line, It'll come down to Trump jurors versus Trump hating jurors. I feel like Nick Sandman's fate here might be tied as much to the hat that he wore as to the, uh, the, the indignities that he suffered from these media companies that attacked him. And they, they attacked him because of the hat, not because of what he did, uh, I don't think to, uh, Nathan Phillips or anybody else associated with that. So do you think it's going to be a political outcome when the time comes? I really don't. I think that uh, when you, you know, even let's say somebody just hates Trump, if if you sit down and you spent a couple of hours explaining what happened, uh, most people would recognize that uh, what happened was wrong and they wouldn't want it to happen to somebody else. So I, I do feel that the process of a jury trial and going through all this uh, still works. It's complicated in our society, but it still works. So yeah, I would then, stick on the side of the jury. And I'm looking at the social media jury, you know, and, and, and if, while there are millions of people who supported him, there are, there are, you know, millions probably as well on Twitter who called, you know, said he had the most punchable face in America. People hated this kid because of his hat and because of what it was, you know, suggested that he was a part of. Never mind the fact that none of that was true. It's just that, that you see that kind of thing in social media. You wonder how many of those idiots are going to end up on a jury. And hopefully you can, you know, hopefully you can get, uh, you know, reasonable people there to evaluate the case for what it is and not their predisposed biases against Donald Trump or Donald Trump supporters. But that's something, obviously, that will be down the road. Uh, Mr. McMurtry, terrific uh, uh, analysis and uh, explanation of the situation. I wish you and I think anybody with uh, with an ounce of common sense wishes you great success in this case for Nick Sandman and for future Nick Sandmans so that they don't end up in this situation. Bob, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Uh, that's Todd McMurtry, attorney representing Nick Sandman down there in Kentucky. And uh, the young man's uh, lawsuit against Washington Post is back on. It's going to be a long process, as you just heard the attorney say. We'll talk more after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Parker Jr. Huh? I remember my stuff. Some of it, anyway. Uh, happy Halloween to you. Yeah, we're doing the uh, Halloween bumper music today. Why not? It's a fun day for the kids. I hope they just stay dry tonight as they go out there and trick or treat. 9.57 as we continue. Dr. Everett Piper joining us after the top of the hour. As he does each and every Thursday, we've got a couple of very important things to discuss, including no safe spaces. Yep. The uh, Adam Carolla Dennis Prager movie, which is just a uh, it's a it's a it's a massive massive hit. Uh, even though it's not going on an expanded release um, or extended release in uh, theaters, it's very limited release. In fact, in theaters, it will be available in a number a number of other forms. Doctor Piper is featured in uh, that movie, and uh, he talks about the the uh, the monster that we have created of political correctness 
and of political indoctrination of young college students. We've created a monster and it's turning around to consume us. How did it happen? Look at what Richard Weaver wrote in 1946. He said ideas have consequences. Garbage in, garbage out. When you teach bad ideas, you're going to get bad culture, bad community, bad government, and bad kids. When you teach good ideas, you, t- you get the opposite. Abraham Lincoln even told us of this. He said what's taught today in the schoolroom will be practiced tomorrow in our culture. How did it happen? We've been teaching teaching ideological foreclosure we've been teaching political correctness rather than common sense natural law self-evident truths and those big laws that actually lend themselves to freedom that is 100 percent correct that's dr piper actually in the movie uh, no safe spaces and uh, we're going to talk to him coming up in just a few to, to expand upon that just a little bit also want to remind you on this last day of october in addition to being halloween it's the last day of our campaign to help Heartbeat International. Now, I want to say that with a caveat. Uh, It's not our last day of helping Heartbeat International. They can use your donations 12 months a year. But for the month of October, we have spent our time, a lot of time, talking about Heartbeat International and saving babies' lives. And this is the last day I'm going to talk to you about this on a regular basis. I need you to step up today. Seriously, the donations have waned in the last couple of uh, days, uh, and I understand maybe you get tired of the same message, but I'm trying to be very real with you here. Lives are at stake, all right? Babies' lives are at stake. Heartbeat International, by funding and running the option line, which then turns uh, takes uh, uh, counselors and professionals uh, to talk to women who are at risk of having abortions, women who have unplanned or unexpected pregnancies, who feel like abortion might be their only way out, They call the option line, and they find out that's not the case. They are referred by the option line professionals to uh, one of the network of pro-life pregnancy resource centers that will help them every step of the way to save their baby's life, to make the right decision. And guess what? If women call and they get a busy tone, or if women call and they get no answer because we can't afford to keep the lines staffed, babies die. If in order to keep these lines staffed, the option line. We need to fund it. And the way we fund it is by donating. $75 a person. $75 is our minimum ask because that allows the call center to stay open to take calls for one hour. $150 for two hours. $450 donation, which is tax deductible. You'll get it back come April. That uh, allows it to stay open for four hours a day. We have even had people donating $1,800 to sponsor a full day of calls to the Heartbeat International option line. We're just asking for 75 from each person. Please do that this morning. Pick up your phone, dial 800-999-7408. 800-999-7408. Go online to saveababynow.com. Donate that $75, or the best and most easiest way, or the easiest way, rather, is to just go to whkradio.com. Click the option line banner at the top of the page and save a baby's life. They're counting on you. We all are. Hour number two coming. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.